Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another broadcast on the Soul of America Radio. Tonight, you're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness, with your host, J.R. Thicklin. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio, hosted and produced by the Soul of America Radio. Comments made on tonight's broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Blog Talk Radio, the Soul of America Radio, or its host. Hope and Healing takes you from a place of pain, abuse, violence, rejection, and abandonment to a place of hope, healing, and power. All aboard with your author, activist, advocate, and friend, man of purpose himself, and your host for the evening, Mr. J.R. You can find us right here, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 o'clock in the Central Time Zone, 7 o'clock if you're in the Mountain Time Zone, 6 o'clock in the Pacific, and wherever you may be around the globe, you're listening to Hope and Healing, our journey to wholeness, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us here tonight on the Soul of America Radio Network. Once again, each and every Monday night, this is where you find us, where our platform is dealing with the issue of not only domestic and sexual violence, but we're dealing with grief, abandonment, rejection, divorce, whatever it is that have caused pain, whatever that needs to be made whole. And that's what our show is all about each and every Monday night. And so as you join me tonight, I want you to tell a friend, tell a neighbor, whether you're on social media or whatever, to join us right now, Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is where you find us at. We're right here. You can reach us by calling area code 323-784-9638, or you can also tune in by going to www.soulofamericaradio.com. That is how you reach us. That is where you find us. We're here each and every Monday evening, and I'm always glad to have you. You know, there have been a lot of interesting things that have been happening around us in the news. I would say that we're in a season of really some very tumultuous things that are happening even right now. And I want you to know uh, that this is the time right now that you and I need to be very, very cognizant of the pain that people are feeling and the pain that people are going through uh, because of the fact of issues that have impacted their lives directly. One of the most favorite sayings that I like quoting this comes from an old Ashanti proverb that says this, that the ruin of a nation begins in the homes of its people. Uh, and I want you to know that that is ever so true. It is ever so true inside of those that are suffered domestic violence or sexual violence. Um, I, it is ever so true for those that have experienced pain unbearable. 
And tonight, I want to definitely get into the show tonight, and I want you to know that regardless of where you are, this is the hour that you can tune in. To all my friends that are listening today from coast to coast, this is a moment that you can listen in right now, and I think that you're going to be very much enlightened. I have tonight with us a very special guest, a friend of mine, I could say, but a woman who is no stranger to many. As a matter of fact, she's no stranger to the world at large. She's no stranger to, uh, I would say she's no stranger to those of us that can recall a very, very, very critical and pivotal time in our country uh, where uh, there was a rash of violence that was happening. And at the time, this was happening in the D.C. area and around the country. And we remember the story about the D.C. sniper. Well, I want to introduce our special guest because I don't want to introduce her as just a former wife of the D.C. sniper. I want to introduce her tonight because the fact that she is an author, she is uh, internationally recognized and known, speaking all over the uh, all over the country and all over the world, literally. Uh, she is the executive director and founder of After the Trauma Inc. Uh, she's not only that, but I want you to know that she is truly an activist, activist, and an advocate, advocate. She has been on this uh, path for a number of years, making a difference inside of the work that she does. And I want to uh, definitely make room tonight, even for your calls and for your questions as we bring her on tonight. And I want you tonight, if you have a question, you have a question that you'd like to ask or whatever, uh, please just hit the number one on the keypad that lets our engineer know that you have a question and you want to become involved. So at this time, I want to welcome uh, tonight to our show my dear friend, uh, internationally known activist and speaker who have spoken all over the place uh, uh, as an international uh, expert, uh, certified a consultant with the Office of um, Victims of Crime, uh, CNN contributor, and the list goes on. Listen, let's give a great Soul of America welcome to my friend, Mildred Muhammad. Well, good evening, How you doing, Mildred. JR? Thank you so very yes, much sir. for How joining us tonight. I am doing awesome. Oh, Go right ahead. I'm just glad to have you on, uh, Mildred. Uh, I'm excited for a number of reasons because of the fact of um, what you represent to so many and, and what you represent to so many in terms of not only strength and inspiration, but in many ways when I look at what you have done with your pain, and I believe that oftentimes, you know, the theme of this show is actually taking people from, uh, you know, getting them to a place of wholeness. It's a journey. And many people don't respond to uh, pain the same way. Some people, uh, they, they incur pain, and they become bitter. They become angry, and oftentimes they become destructive. But then there are those, such as yourself, who took your pain and you transformed it into power and you transformed it into a platform that has helped not only so many other lives, those that may not be as well-known as you, but it is doing a, a tremendous work here. And so I, I want to just uh, bring you on, introduce you from that standpoint there, and uh, talk to us a little bit about what's been going on with you. And, and um, I want you to get a little bit into your book, Scared Silent. Um, uh, what a title there. And uh, I just want our Soul of America radio audience to hear you today. Well, it's true that most of us deal with pain in different ways. Some of us don't know how to do it and to move forward. And what I suggest 
that people do is to go through it. Don't go around it. Don't go over it. Go through it. The best way to do that is once you come up on an emotion, you have to put a name to it so that you can understand what it is. Then get the dictionary and look it up. So if you are feeling angry, you look up the word angry, then you know there are many definitions of that word. But read through those definitions until the one resonates with your spirit as to the feeling that you are having. Once you can identify that emotion, you put a name to it, you understand what it means, now you have to go to work to understand and get to the root of what is causing that anger. And once you understand and recognize what that is, then you're ready to move forward with something else. That's what I did. You know, Mildred, you said something that I think was so important. And because so many times, you know, and I think about your book, you know, Scared Silent, and and what you said was so pertinent because – it's so often that people do, they, they suffer events and trauma in their lives, but they never name it. They, they don't name it. Uh, it just becomes something that happened to me. It becomes, uh, uh, for some, it's almost like a, an a, you know, epiphany that happened to them. But it is very critical, you're saying, to be able to name it because that's really the beginning of that journey, would you say? I would say that. And it's also important for me, I journaled. I journaled everything because when you have pain in your head and you're telling people about your pain, if you're telling that same pain over and over again in the same tone at the same time, you are not healing. You are just circulating the pain and it's going to go deeper into your spirit. I write mine down because I truly believe that journaling is like your brain is like a computer, and you have to download that material out of your head onto paper. Once you start to write it out, you will feel the tension and the stress leaving your shoulders, leaving your head, and you'll see life and the world a little brighter. And the more you do that, the more you release who you are, the more you understand who you are, and you begin to be free. Because you have to be free from your pain. There's so many people in pain today that we don't even take the time to help people. We give them a pill so that they can feel better. But the pill is only going to... Um, take it away just for a minute, but it's going to come back. So it it takes work. This is a long journey to go from pain to purpose. It's a long journey, but you have to be willing to go through it. I refuse, I absolutely refuse to carry a bag with John's name on it. I just did. I refuse to have my children to carry that bag that their dad was a serial killer and that he will always be that. I had to help them to turn those 
words around and turn that definition around so that they would be able to move forward with their lives and not allow this stigma to be placed upon them where they won't be able to be nurtured and grow and comforted. So I told them, I said, you know, regardless of what he's done, God saw fit to bring the three of you from the both of us. And you have every right to love him because no matter what he's done or what anybody says or what anybody calls him, he is your dad. Nobody can take that away. Nobody can erase that. And you can't change that fact because that is an actual fact. He's your dad. So you can love him. You can care about him. You can't talk to him, but you can do all the other things that children would have in their emotions for their dad. And that's how we went about that. I created a safe place at home so that they were able to talk about him, to laugh about him. We watched home movies. So they asked me, Mom, can you tell us about this? You know, that was, you know, that was hard. But it was for them. They needed to grow. They needed to heal. They needed to hear the good things about their dad. And I told them, I said, you know, you can ask me any question, and I will answer any question, even if it makes me look bad, because you have to know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So my children are now, my son is 25. He was diagnosed with MS a couple of years ago. He went from a 23-year-old athlete who was about to try out for the NFL and he couldn't see clearly. He couldn't catch the ball. He thought it was just a headache. Took him to the hospital. They said he had MS. So he went from a 23-year-old athlete to a six-month-old baby. Jr., I tell you, he was. I, he could not hold his head up. He was almost paralyzed from head to toe. I didn't know what to do. I was, I prayed the doctor he had didn't want to treat him or because he didn't have insurance, they was giving him 10% of the medication that he needed. The rest of it was sugar water. Can you believe that? All because he didn't have insurance. So I was putting the information on my Facebook page, and lo and behold, one of my Facebook friends was a neurologist. And she's right down the street and asked me to bring my son to her. And she started treating him. And I can say that by God's grace, that he is the top salesman at H.H. Gregg. It's a veto store like Best Buy. Has his own car. He's walking. If you see him, you would never know he has MS. He takes um, infusion once a month. And that's it. My daughters are 23 and 22. They both attend colleges. My oldest girl, she just graduated, but they both sing opera in eight different languages. I told them that your dad did what he did, but you are not able to use him as an excuse for failure. That will be unacceptable to me. 
So we're going to tie up our bootstraps, and we're going to keep going, and we're going to make it happen because we are going to be assets and not deficits to the society. You know, you said a lot there, and, and you know, and, and I, it just gives me even a greater respect. You know, I, I somewhat knew about what happened with your son, and and that was a battle within itself. But it one was it was one that was really a test of faith through it all, and uh, it's amazing. You know, I've had opportunity to meet your girls. Uh, I think once, I believe we were in Long Beach, California together, one of those places right. on the road, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, and they've grown up. I mean, beautiful young ladies, a handsome young man as a son, and these kids of yours, because of the fact of the way that you took the time to raise them and to give them that type of audience and give them that type of freedom to be transparent and, and you became transparent before them, they have turned, they are resilient. They are resilient uh, young people, they are, and, and they don't walk with the spirit of victimization. It is a sense of, of they still carry a sense of pride, knowing who they are, and not, as you're saying, you know, walking around with this badge of shame around their neck. And uh, that is to be commended, uh, Mildred, in so many ways, and, and that's important. For those that may be just tuning in to us, you're listening to Open Healing, Our Journey to Wholeness, this is your host, J.R. Thicklin. Our very special guest here is uh, Mildred Muhammad. Uh, many of you know her. Just a few weeks ago, uh, a lifetime special that was on, I got a chance to see it, and perhaps many of you did, that was absolutely incredible lifetime special. And then, of course, Mildred, you've been on many different shows. You've been on, uh, you've been, I mean, you've been a subject of movies. You've been a subject of documentaries. Uh, you travel the country. Uh, we've, we definitely have run into each other inside of these different places. And your story is different. And when I say it's different, it's different in the sense of the fact that oftentimes when people hear the story about, quote, unquote, the D.C. sniper, they only think about the shootings that happened and all those things, but many of them don't know what was the real reason behind the shootings. That's the first thing I want to put on the table. But even more so what I want to put on the table is, once again, what you did after all of this was said and done. Because of your own experiences of what you, what you did, you recognized absolutely some real needs and gaps in the current system as it was. And so you started the uh, after the trauma. Uh, you started that, and that was very important. And I want you to uh, kind of take our listeners back into uh, just some highlights of the whole situation that happened out of John with the D.C. sniper, but even more so, because this is what I want them to hear. Your response to all of this was so important and so paramount, because too often what do we hear? And media makes it this way, whether intentionally or not. If a person is not beat up, bruised, battered, or whatever, we say, well, they're not in a domestic violence situation. But for many, they are, and they are scared silent. They're not moving forward. They're afraid. They don't know where to look, or even more so, those that have looked out to get help, and perhaps there was help at the moment, but after the trauma was over with, they found themselves alone. So I would love for you to just take take a moment to kind of share and bring our audience up to up to speed with exactly your experience because I think it's so impactful, and I, and I know that so many will be able to identify with this experience. Well, my story starts when I found out that John was having multiple affairs, and I asked him for a divorce. And he didn't want one. And I said to him, well, you're acting free. 
So he may as well be free. But that's when everything started. He moved out, but he still had a key to the house. So he would come in in the middle of the night. I would hear the key going in the door, and I would lay there, and my eye would open to a slither so I could watch him walk in the room from one end of the bed to the other, peer over to listen to me breathe, stand up, and walk out of the house. He did that three times. The third time, my daughter, Taliba, woke up, and he picked her up and gave her to me like she was supposed to be there. So I called the locksmith to have the locks changed. As soon as you get one thing fixed, you notice something else is wrong. So I noticed that my phone wasn't ringing. And just then my a friend of mine called and said she was calling to check on me and the children and that John had changed my number without my permission because, remember, he was no longer in the phone. So I called the phone company to have my number changed back. And as soon as I hung up the phone, John called. And I said, how did you get this number? He said, as many times as you change this number, I'm going to change it back. And so I didn't believe that, so I hung up the phone, and I changed the number again. And as soon as I hung up the phone, he called me back. And he said, what are you doing? You're never going to get away from me. So I called the company again, told him what was happening, and they put a code on the phone so that he couldn't change the number anymore. My son was sick, or our son was sick, and he was having an asthma attack at school. So I asked my brother to pick him up and bring him home, which he did, and he was getting a treatment and he went to sleep. John came over barging in the house, and I said, you can't come in here. I mean, you got to call me and let me know when you're coming. He pushed his way in. I fell back and, and hit my head on the fireplace, and he ran. I called the police. They came over, and they asked me what's his name on the lease. And I said, yes, sir. They said, well, he has just as much a right to be here as you do. So there's nothing we can do about that. But do you have a restraining order? And I said, no, sir. So they gave me the paperwork. I went to the courthouse to fill it out. And they gave me a lifetime restraining order. I don't know if they give those out anymore. That was in Washington State. Wow. So we had to figure out um, visitation. And he came over to the house and he said, we need to talk. And my brother was home, so I thought it would be okay since there was another man in the house. So we went in the garage and he said, you know, you are not going to raise my children by yourself. You have become my enemy, and as my enemy, I will kill you. So not to be outdone or to show any fear, I said, well, I've been sleeping with the enemy all this time. What else are you going to do? And that's when he charged at me. I ran out of the garage to my brother. John went outside, and I was crying to my brother, John's going to kill me, he's going to kill me. My brother said, girl, John, I'm going to kill you. I never went to my brother again because he didn't believe me the first time. And when you are a victim of domestic violence, you don't have time to try to convince other people 
that you are in a dangerous situation. 80% of victims do not have physical scars to prove that they are victims. So we have to build our case with evidence and writing down the incident, the date and time, get witness statements if possible. But the hardest part for me was everybody liked John. He was in the community. I was not. So trying to convince people who saw him in this positive light that he was not that way at home it's a very difficult thing to do. People don't want to believe that. They are quick to blame the victim. Why would you want to say something bad about him? Why would you want to bring him down like that? No one paid attention to the pays attention to the victim when she's crying out for help. And that's the sad part. So we had the visitation set up could have the children every other weekend. The first weekend was fine, no problem. Second weekend, it was my mother's birthday, and we were going to take her to Country Buffet. So he picked them up on Friday. He was supposed to bring them back Sunday. Well, Sunday at 5.30, the time he was supposed to bring them back, they wasn't back. The person who picked up the children and took them to John came to me with a note and $2 from my baby girl, Taliba, and I said, well, where are the children? He said, well, you need to call John. So I'm blowing up his pager because we didn't have cell phones back then like we do now. Right. <laughs> and he called at 730, and he said, uh, my son was on the phone. I said, that's your dad. What time are you coming home? He said, Mom, Dad said you're coming home in an hour. So that's 830. 830 came, no John. So I'm blowing up his pager. At 11.35, he calls back and says, we're en route from Seattle. We'll be there shortly. Well, Seattle was 45 minutes from where we were one way, and he was supposed to be across the street buying clothes from Kmart. So as soon as I hung up the phone, I had butterflies in my stomach. I felt nervous. I said, something is wrong. My children didn't come back, neither did John. I called the school the next day thinking he would be kind by taking them to school for me, but he didn't. So the whole week I called, and I went to the school that Friday, and they told me that my children weren't there. So she told me to go home and call the police while my mother was home. And my mother, like my children were, her second wind in life. You know how this to be a grandparent for those grandparents Absolutely. who are listening. And she let out a scream. I have never or I had never heard my mother scream before. And I got to her before she hit the ground. She said, he took our babies. He took our babies. I said, I know, Mom. So what are we going to do? I said, I don't know, but I'm, I'm going to do something. So I called the police. They came out and they said, well, Ms. Muhammad, do you have a parenting plan? I said, well, no, I don't, but we were getting ready to go to court. He said, well, I'm sorry, nothing we can do. He has just as much a right to the children as you do. So my children were gone. I couldn't get in nobody to help me. I went to the people who were around me, and they said, well, John told us 
that you were going to come and say bad things about him. We don't want to hear none of that mess. And then they didn't. I later found out that he emptied the bank account, called the landlord, told him that we would, he would no longer be paying the rent, and they were gone. I found out that he had taken them out of the country to Antigua. I want to interrupt right there just for a second. For those of you that are uh, tuning in, and I I see here uh, uh, from uh, the producer quite a few people that have just tuned in and just coming aboard. You're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thickland. You're listening to our very special guest tonight with us, uh, none other than Mildred Muhammad, uh, who is the founder of After the Trauma. She is an internationally recognized expert, keynote speaker, known globally for addressing uh, several issues, but particularly the issue of domestic violence. She's the author of the book, Scared Silent, and um, uh, keep listening to the show. She's going to tell you a little bit more how to get your hands on Scared Silent, uh, as well as her website information. One of the things that you're listening to today is she's going through that whole journey. Her journey, you know, many people heard of the D.C. Sniper uh, you know, several years ago, and but they didn't understand what was the meaning behind it, and uh, Mildred is sharing that with us. So as you're listening today, I want you to stay tuned, and uh, we're going to come right back after this commercial break, and she's going to complete the story, and we will be also afterwards taking some of your calls. You'll listen to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and we'll be right back after this commercial break. <laughs> is the soul of America Radio. Thank you for listening to J.R.L. Thicklin, Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. We feature every Monday night a show solely devoted to people that are going through abuse. Some type of problem in your lives that you can't work out. We mainly focus on domestic violence, the cancer in our lives. Join J.R. Thicklin, your host, here every Monday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern, 8 o'clock p.m. Central, right here on the Soul of America Radio. You can contact Jay every Monday night at 323-784-9638. Or you can listen to him online. Just follow at soulofamericaradio.com and listen for look for live streams. And that way you can speak or listen, whichever your choice may be. Thank you for joining us tonight. You're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thicklin, on the Soul of America Radio. If you're listening via internet and you want to speak to the host, Please dial 323-784-9638 and press 1 to be connected to the host. This is the Soul of America Radio. Here's your host, J.R. Thicklin.
welcome back to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and I'm so very glad that you've joined us here tonight on the Soul of America Radio Network. Every Monday night is where you find us, us here, right here on this network, every Monday night where we are hosting a show dealing with Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness, show that centers around the issue of domestic and sexual violence, but it's not limited to that. We deal with hurt, abandonment, rejection. We deal with whether it's divorce. We deal with whatever have caused pain. And for those of you that follow us on Facebook, there are a number of ways that you can find us on Facebook there. We have about three pages you can find us. Matter of fact, you can find us at Domestic Violence. It is your business page on Facebook. It's an open group, so feel free to join. Also, you can find us at our uh, page that is filled with inspiration and hope, and that is our our Destiny by Choice 2 fellowship page where you can find hope and inspiration. You're uh, very free to share your hope, testimonies, and inspiration on that show as well. And then, of course, we have the J.R. Thicklin page you, you can find us on as well, and there's a number of pages where you can find us. Uh, uh, but here's the thing I want you to understand. I want you to understand that even now, that uh, when we look at this, this is a very serious subject matter, and it's always a serious subject matter. And so we have a number of different things that are happening. I also want to invite your attention to uh, another one of the uh, pages and Twitter pages I want you to go to, because this page is a page of our, our, our senior administrator and, and vice president and president of operations there. And I want you to go to Harlem World. That's right, Harlem World Palm. Harlem, like Harlem, New York, World Palm. You can find that page there, Harlem World Palm, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. It's all there, Harlem World Palm, and you're going to be very much um, enlightened by some of the amazing work that is being done by ND Harlem. So I want to uh, very much invite you to that. And I want to continue on with our conversation now with Mildred Muhammad. And uh, Mildred, you, you left off at the fact of here it was that, uh, uh, you know, John now has, has, as I like to say, he had made a very big strategic move. And basically, at this point, he's taken the children and they have left the country. And, 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 and please continue, because I think this is, very, this is very important for those that think that domestic violence is just about the hitting part, but the emotional whirlwind and trauma that goes along with it, when the children are put in danger, when everything is happening around you, and you're, you're trying to make a decision and still function in life, and you face all of that. So please continue. So as I was saying, no one would believe that he had taken their children and he told them that he was taking them because I wasn't taking care of them and they believed him and they didn't do anything to help me. I ended up going on Black Voices, that uh, chat group that had just I remember that site. Right. And um, my screen name was Real Black Woman. And I was asking them what to do. There were doctors and lawyers. There were all types of people that were helping me to understand what was going on. But I couldn't get anybody to believe me. I began eating a half a slice of bread and crushed ice. That's all I would eat, just enough to sustain me. But apparently it wasn't enough to keep my body going. Um, I was opening the door to the mailman who was delivering a package for my mother on Mother's Day because she lived with us, and I passed out. 
They took me to the hospital. They told me that I had lost three units of blood and that I needed a blood transfusion. Well, only two people knew I was in the hospital. That was my mother and the lady across the street who came to take care of my mother and, of course, the paramedics. And once um, they had me secure in the room, my phone rang, and it was John. And he said, how you doing? I said, I'm good. And said, how's mom? I said, she's good. I said, why won't you let the children call me? He said, well, we don't always get what we want, do we? See, when the abuser and the victim have a dialogue that only those two people understand, you could be looking at two people having a conversation, but the victim is terrified and is unable to send a signal to let someone know that they are in danger. So I had a choice to make because John had already told me I had became his enemy, and as his enemy, he would kill me. So I could either go back to him and die, or I could hang up the phone and never see my children again. So I hung up the phone, and I let out a scream. Mm -hmm. Some people may wonder, why did you believe John? And I think it's important for them to understand uh, John's background at this time and the things that you saw (laughs) with him. Because many times people... You know, they, they doubt why is it a person who's going through victimization, you know, well, why did they stay? They must like everything. Well, if that was me, I would have done this. And oftentimes people have not a clue. You know, no one knows the perpetrator like the victim. And so exactly. I'd like for you to kind of just, just kind of emphasize, uh, you know, and stress to the audience, why is it that you believe them? And, and at a point, here it is, here's a person that's calling you in the hospital, he wasn't even supposed to know you were there, and you don't have you have no idea where he is, but he tend to know your every move. Right. He was a demolition. He was he was in the army. He was an E five sergeant. He was a demolition expert. He was an expert shot. He was a hand to hand combat expert. He would get up early in the morning. And time, how fast the dew would dry on the grass. He was very skilled at what he did. He said what he meant, and he meant what he said. He was not an idle talker. He said he was going to do something. He was going to do it. He told me, you have become my enemy. And as my enemy, I will kill you. That was my warning. He was going to kill me and put me somewhere where nobody would be able to find me. No way I was going to go back. I had a choice. I had to either go back to him and die or hang up the phone and never see my children again. I hung up the phone. I hung up the phone because I trusted God would bring me back my children. And I let out a scream. And the nurses came in, and they said, what's the matter? I said, can you trace the call? Because they didn't have caller ID back there. (laughs) They didn't have caller ID. So they traced the call to a woman who called the hospital for John, and she didn't know where he went at that point. But he called my mother and told my mother what he was going to do. So my mother called the hospital and said, John just called her and said he was on his way to the hospital 
to kill her daughter, to kill me. So they moved me out of one room into an unmarked room, posted a guard outside my door, took my name off of the register so nobody would know where I was. The police officer said that they needed to bring up the ID of the people who were coming to see me because they did not have a picture of who or what John looked like. So a social worker or my friend came and she said, look, you can't go home. I said, what do you mean I cannot go home? My mother is there and I need to go take care of my mother. She said, look, you can't go home. I will take care of your mother, but I need you to do three things. First, you need to change your name and change it to a name so that when people call you, you will answer. So my safe name is Millie. Two, we're going to bring you some more clothes so that you don't dress and he won't be able to recognize you. And three, you have to disconnect from everybody that you know. Nobody can know where you are. Can you do that? Yeah. I mean, I ain't got a choice. So we waited till it got dark, and they slipped me out of the hospital um, into a car, and I had to basically lay down in the car so that they could drive me to another location. But I checked the rooftops. I checked the open windows because I knew it was going to be a headshot. John's motto was one shot, one kill to the head. John did not miss. Never leave an enemy behind. That was his motto. They took me to a shelter. They drove me all over the place so I wouldn't know where it was. And when I got there, the staff person said that I was in luck. I had my own room. So they took me up to my room, and I'm thinking, how did I get here? I mean, I'm a business woman. I have my own business. You know, I'm taking care of my mother, taking care of my children. I'm in a shelter. How many people are in a shelter? How did how how did it things get so out of control that I'm in a shelter? So the next day, all these women get up. There's 18 women in the house. They looked at me. I looked at them. They sizing me up. I'm sizing them up too. So wow. this commercial came on, Professional Career Development Institute Online Courses. You remember that? I remember I need that. to yeah. learn the law. I need to learn the law. So they had the course of paralegal. I sent off for the paralegal courses, making straight A's in the shelter. The YWCA found out, asked me what I come and work in their legal department. So I'm helping other victims and survivors to get restraining orders, to stand up with them while they're in court to get their children back. And so I'm thinking I need to get my paperwork straight. So I go to the clerk of court. Of course, they can't tell you what to do, but if you tell them what you're trying to do, they'll give you the documents, and that's what I did. So I filed a writ of habeas corpus, which meant that anywhere they found my children, they needed to get them and bring them back to me. I had my lifetime restraining order notarized, Washington State had just passed a law stating 
that if you are a victim of domestic violence, you can leave the state without being charged with kidnapping, and you do not have to tell the abuser that you are leaving the state. So I had all my paperwork notarized. My sister in Maryland called and said that my mom was sick and she needed help with her. She said, you found your children? I said, no, I didn't find them, but, I mean, I could wait over there. So I packed up, moved to Maryland, and... Now you moved to Maryland. You all the way across. You you you, you moved all, all the country. way from from Seattle, Washington, all the way across country. To Washington D.C. Yep. Wow. I did because my mom was sick. You know when Mama's sick, wow. she got to go take care of Mama. You move. Absolutely. Absolutely, you move. No questions asked. You got to go take care of Mama. So while wow. I was here, I went to file my restraining order under full faith and credit so that he could have the same power in Washington State as it was here. So I filed it in Washington, D.C., and I filed it in Maryland because those were the two places that I felt that I would always be. So I called the FBI and told them that um, my children had been kidnapped out of the country. So they sent over an agent, Agent Jensen Jordan. I told him everything that happened. And he said, well, how do you know your children are no longer in the country? I said, well, my cousin is a private investigator, says when the trail runs cold, then that means that the person that you're looking for is no longer in the country. So he took all my paperwork. He said, we'll be in touch. He sent me back my paperwork two weeks later and said, we're sorry, we can't help you. But wow. since this is an ongoing case, we're going to send you, refer you back to Seattle, where it originated, and you need to call the agents there. So I did that and I told them, look, um, I am in hiding. My children are out of the country. He's looking for me. He's going to kill me, and I need your help. They said, well, Ms. Muhammad, since we know, He's looking for you. What we want to do is put you in the middle of a parking lot and use you as a decoy. Oh, my. <laughs> Hold on. You're talking about putting you in the middle of a parking lot with a sharpshooter. Yep. Okay. Oh boy. Brilliant. Oh, Let's get right, a right. report for being a real yes. brainstormer. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Wow. Put me in the middle and use me as a decoy to get my children back. I said, excuse me, but it's going to be a headshot. You're not going to know where the bullet is coming from. They said, well, you know, we're just trying to help you out. I hung up the phone. Wow. Not going to go in the middle of a parking lot. I hung up the phone. So August of that year, the executive director contacted me from the shelter that I was living in, and she said, Millie, I think we found your children. So I needed to fax all of my paperwork to Bellingham, Washington to Detective McCarthy, and I called that Detective McCarthy to make sure he got the paperwork, and he said, well, Ms. Muhammad, you know we're on the border of Canada, right? I like, no, sir, I didn't know that. He said, well, you know, once they get across the border, that's not going to be anything we can do. I said, well, could you just go get my children? So August the 31st, 4.35 p.m. I don't know why I'm so good with times and stuff, but I am. And um, he said, Ms. Muhammad, we got your children, but you have to fly back 
an emergency custody hearing. So I flew back the Labor Day weekend of 2001 and went to court. I was scared to death. I really was. Um, my friend Isa went with me along with an attorney from the YWCA, Angela, and Heather, who was my advocate. So we go into the courthouse, and John's there. And I'm shaking like a leaf on a tree. I was so scared. My advocate said, Millie, you have got to stop shaking. That's how bad I was shaking because I was so scared. And the judge said, we're here today to decide who gets custody of the children. John said, Your Honor, she already knew where those children were. I don't even know why we're here. He said, since her paperwork is in perfect order and she did it pro se, which meant I did it myself, she will get custody of the children. So he had to sign a document releasing the children to me. Once he signed it, he flipped it back to the court. Judge said, case dismissed, he has custody of the children. So we waited until John left. And when he left, we went into the hallway with my attorney and, and my friend Isa, and we, the attorney was calling the CPS to find out where the children were, and I felt a presence behind me, and it was John. I took off down the hallway. My attorney and my friend looked at me. They looked at John. And they ran, too. We all ran around the corner. John went to the courtroom door, looked at me, and said, gotcha. My attorney said, oh, hell no. We're leaving out of here. You're you leaving out of here tonight. So we made it out of the courtroom, courthouse, went to social services. That's where my children were. And that was the first time I had seen my children in 18 months. 18 wow. months. I cannot explain the pain. I can't articulate that. I I don't know the words to use where you could feel how much pain it takes to put your head to a pillow every night for 18 months and not know where your children are. Yeah, you know, Mildred, that's a powerful point, you know, because oftentimes, when, once again, the all of the other layers that are involved with it, in this case, emotional turmoil, the fact that your children were literally kidnapped, taken away from you, you're not knowing, you know, their whereabouts, well-being, and all of these things are happening, and yet it's still you're trying to function, you're trying to better yourself, you're trying to do all those things, and those things were happening to you at an alarming rate. What I want to do, I want to take a break, and afterwards, I want to definitely uh, let you continue, but I want to open up the lines even now. If you're listening today, you may have a question or a comment that you may have for our special guest, Mildred Muhammad. If you're already on the air, if you're already listening by phone, simply hit the number one on your keypad. That lets our producer know that you want to get on the air, and we'll bring you on the air. So hit a number one on your keypad, and we'll bring you on the air tonight, uh, and that's how you can get on. But uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this commercial break, and at that time, we'll take your call. We'll take your questions. <laughs>
If you're listening via internet, you're probably seeing a series of advertisements. Please click on those advertisements as they help us to continue to bring you the best in soulful talk radio. by choice to fellowship on facebook is a spiritual drama-free judgment-free fellowship forum for like minds to share in encouragement through testimonies scriptures music prayer worship and fellowship it is our desire to be an oasis of hope in the midst of the deserts and wilderness of life's most challenging experiences we welcome you for prayer requests as well as your testimonies as we collectively operate as thermostats changing life's experience through God's leading in His Word. Join us as we empower lives and shape destinies. That's Destiny by Choice 2 Fellowship on Facebook. Through a search, you can find us. If you're listening via internet and you want to speak to the host, please dial 323-784-9638. And press 1 to be connected to the host. This is the Soul of America Radio. I am Indy Holland 2, and I am fighting the power on the Soul of America Radio. Worldwide. Coast to Coast Talk Radio. This is the Soul of America Radio. You're listening to Soar. And now back to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thickland. And we're so very glad that you've joined us here on the Soul of America Radio Network. You that have been listening to us, uh, you're listening to our very special guest here, Mildred Mildred Muhammad, an award-winning, globally recognized keynote speaker, international expert, uh, speaker of the U.S. Department of State, uh, you name it, uh, CNN contributor, author of the book, Scared Salad, the founder and CEO of After the Trauma. And she's known as the wife the former wife of a D.C. sniper. But I tell you, she also is known as a source of inspiration and strength, one that has persevered, one that has turned her pain into power, into purpose, and is sharing with the world how to make that happen. Many of you have been responding offline and responding uh, to many of the things that you've heard, and that's absolutely, uh, I'm glad that you have, and I'm going to have Mildred to, to give you her information in just a second, but you can visit her website at uh, com. That's Mildred, M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D.com. You can visit her website there as well. 
Uh, Mildred, I'm going to let you continue with the story, but I want uh, you just for those that might have missed it, and perhaps you can always check your local listing, and for those of you that may have uh, uh, on-demand whatever cable system, uh, just a couple weeks ago, um, uh, Mildred was um, actually a feature in a lifetime in a lifetime documentary that was very well, that outlined a very story that you're that you're hearing right now. Mildred, if you can tell them just a little bit about that, and we'll continue the story. And uh, as I said before, if you are listening today and you have a question and a comment that you may have for Mildred, simply hit the number one on your keypad, and that lets our producer know that you want to get on the air. You don't have to give, give your name, but we will acknowledge you and allow you to ask your question or give your comment. So, Mildred, share with them just a little bit more about not only, uh, uh, you know, uh, the documentary, but a little bit about Scared Salad and how they could reach out to you because, in fact, I know today that you are being a source of uh, strength and inspiration for many that are listening. Well, for those who like to see the documentary, it's called Monster in My Family, and you can go to mylifetime.com. And my story is the fourth episode. It'll say DC Sniper Mildred Muhammad. Again, mylifetime.com. It's called Monster in My Family. And the episode is number four. So once we got, once I got the, the children back, came to Maryland, fast forward to the shooting. They told us to look for two Caucasians and a white box truck, which is what we looked for. But I was looking for John. So I was looking for the two Caucasians and a white box truck, but I was looking for John, too. We all were looking for that. The whole area was paralyzed. People were moving inadvertently different ways. They had tarp over the gas station so people could pump gas. October 11th, my coworker picked me up for work, and she said, you know, there's a dark-colored car outside the cul-de-sac, and I'm getting a bad feeling from that car. I said, oh, girl, don't worry about it. Let's just go to work. So when we passed by the car, the driver looked at us, but the passenger raised the newspaper to hide his identity. And I asked her, did she see that? And she said, yes. So we called 911, and they said to describe the car, I said it's a dark colored Caprice or Impala with New Jersey plates, two African-American males seated in the car. They said that they would get a police officer over there. Well, October 23rd, ATF and the FBI knock on my door, and they asked me when was the last time I had seen John Muhammad, and my palms began sweating. And I said, well, why are you asking me questions about him? They said, well, you know, we just want to know who was the last time you seen him. I said, well, at an emergency custody hearing about a year ago. They said, well, have you heard about any shootings in Nevada or anywhere else? I was like, no, sir, I have not. They said, well, we need for you to come down to the police station. And I said, I'm not going anywhere with you. And they said, why? I said, because I think you have John at the police station and you're not listening to me, I keep trying to tell you that he's going to kill me. So, Ms. Muhammad, we do not have him at the police station. We just need you to come down and answer some questions. So I go down and answer some questions. Again, they say, when was the last time you seen him? I said, a year ago. They said, well, you never heard about any shootings? I said, no, sir. They said, well, we need for you to listen to this CD. 
and it was the, it was a voice on there with an accent. They say, "Have you ever heard this voice before?" I said, "No, sir, I haven't." They said, "Okay, Mr. Muhammad, we're just gonna have to tell you." I said, "Tell me what?" They said, "We're gonna name your ex-husband as the sniper." I said, "What?" My head hit the table. They said, "Well, do you think he would do something like this?" I said, "Yeah." They said, "Well, why would you say that?" I said, "Because he said I could take a small city, terrorize it." They would think it would be a group of people, and it would only be me. I asked him why would he do something like that, but he changed the subject. They said, well, Miss Muhammad, didn't you know you were the target? I said, why would I know that? They said, well, it was a man down the street at a restaurant. He was shot six times, and there was another man that was shot at a Brandywine convenience store in the abdomen. So, Miss Muhammad, you were the target. Would you like to go into protective custody? I said, you got to ask me that? I said, well, you know, you may not want to go. I said, have you caught him yet? They said, no. I said, do you know where he is? They said, no. I said, you still have to ask me, do I want to go? They said, yes, ma'am. I said, yes, I want to go into protective custody. Can we please go get my children? So we go home, get my children. I tell them they're going to name your dad as a sniper. They start crying. I said, but y'all can't cry because they say we got to leave. I tell my sister and my brother-in-law. So we all leave. Soon as we leave, the media comes in. It was a convoy. It was like they were everywhere. And they took us to this hotel. I still don't know where it is because it was at night. And turned on the TV, and it was the first time they showed John's face. And my children were crying on the bed, and I gathered them together. And they said, Mommy, what did Daddy do? What did Daddy do? I said, Honey, they said that he killed some people. I don't, I don't know. I said, Well... Mommy, I said, just don't worry about it. We'll worry about it later. Then they cried themselves to sleep. I got a pillow, went in the bathroom, turned on the water, sat on the floor, and screamed in the pillow because I didn't know what to do and I didn't know who to call. And the next day is when they caught him. So then we had to go through that whole the trial thing and how he met Lee when he was in Antigua. Lee was looking for a father figure. And John brought him in as my as our children's big brother. So he was selling false documents, birth certificates, airline tickets, passports to the citizens who wanted to be Americans. And he would charge them $3,000 per person. So he would escort them to the United States and leave me in charge of our children. But while he was in the United States, he would be looking for me to kill me. So my children said that they didn't have any. He did, he left them with no food. So he would be gone like a month or two at a time. And they had to scrounge around for food. They were sleeping on the ground with ants eating them. They had to haul water with worms in it so that they could bathe or drink it because they had to to boil the water or push the worms aside. So they had a really hard time. And then the, the children who were in Antigua were jealous of them because they were Americans. So they would have to fight all the time. So much to have so, experienced at such a young age at that time. And, yes, and they were the whole world spinning. Right. They were 7, 8, and 10 when he took them. Wow. That's how old they were. Well, 
And so well, that, that it was incredible. difficult, but go ahead. I said just just an incredible time in their lives inside of trying to understand so much. And, and that's one of the things that we try to bring out to people. A lot of time people will look at, you know, people, whether victims of domestic violence or they're in these type of abusive relationships, and they stop right at the adult. Oftentimes they don't understand the impact that it has on children, uh, the traumatization and the different things that happen. And, uh, you know, and, and, and the kids were very resilient and, uh, despite the many things that they went through. One of the things I like to do is in, in shifting gears and transitioning right now, and for those that are listening by way of uh, phone, area code 323-784-9638, you're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. Now, you can, if you would, you can, if you have a question and or comment that you may have for uh, Mildred, uh, you can simply hit number one on your keypad. That lets our producer know that you want to get on the air. And we'll bring you on the air. You can ask a question or make your comment. One of the things I want to say while you're uh, waiting to call in or make your comment there is that all of this experience led you to eventually start after the trauma. After the trauma. And, mm-hmm. and, and sh- I'd love for you to share with the audience why you felt the need to share that. I mean, to start that organization, why did you find the need to start that organization? As a survivor of domestic violence, I looked at the the full spectrum of services that were offered, and there were not many services offered to, to survivors of domestic violence. Once you leave an abusive relationship, there's, there was nothing. There was nothing and no one willing or there to help me to get on my feet, to help me to reestablish myself, to give me resources, even if they didn't have it, to point me into the direction of where resources would be. I started after the trauma with my own money, and I started to assist whoever contacted me. It started out just survivors, and then victims started to contact me, and I began to create liaisons with other organizations throughout the United States. So when someone contacted me from out of state, I had a resource for them in their state. Once they get to me, they're so tired of telling their story over and over again, and they talk so fast, but I know what they're doing because they're trying to convince me that they need help. And the first thing I tell them is, you don't have to convince me. I, I hear it in your voice. I can feel a person's pain in the words that they use. I know that God gave me that to, so that I'm able to help those who come to me for help. I remember going to speak, and there was a lady who followed me to three different conferences. And she told me, she said, I know you, you've seen me. I said, yeah, I've seen you. <laughs> I said, she said, I'm not stalking you. I said, well, you know, that you know that crossed my mind. <laughs> she said, I'm not. She said, but, you know, when you said you don't have to have physical scars to prove that you are a victim, that blew my mind because I've been a victim. I had been a victim for 17 years. My husband brutally, verbally abused me and my children. We were in total pain for so long. And when I heard you say that, 
it's like it resonated with my spirit, but I wasn't sure you said it, so I had to find where you were going to be, and I went to two more conferences to make sure that's what you said. And when I was sure that's what you said, I went home and I did what you told me to do. I did a, got a sheet of paper, drew a line down the middle, did the pros and cons. I was honest about the relationship, about how I felt, how he felt, and the cons outweighed the pros, Ms. Muhammad. And I had to make a decision, just like you said, and I made the decision to leave. And me and my children have been happy ever since. And I just want to thank you for saving our lives. If I had never came to see you, I never would have known that I was a victim of domestic violence. I always thought I had to be hit, that I needed to have physical scars so people would believe me. And to me, it didn't matter whether they believed me or not because I lived it. I was there, and I didn't need anybody to validate me. Just like you said, you don't need anybody to validate your pain. You know you're in pain. Why do you need other people to tell you you're in pain? You Absolutely. do what you need to do strategically. Got to be strategic. Can't just, you know, if you got to have a plan. I never tell a victim to leave, but I will tell you to plan because in your planning, you will know when it's time to go. There is a comprehensive safety plan on my website, afterthetrauma.org. Click on resources. The first line item is a safety plan. Download it. Eight steps. The number eight means transformation. So as you're completing the safety plan, you are moving from being a victim to a survivor because you are taking back your life. So you are taking charge of who you are and where you are trying to go. Don't take this safety plan home. Leave it at work. Give it to one trusted, keyword, trusted friend. Any more than one, your abuser will find out what you're doing, and all that planning will be for nothing because you don't know who your abuser knows. So that's why it's important to tell only one person. Once you decide when it's time to go, then you need to start stashing some money aside. I helped a victim to leave this area. First thing I told her to do is go to Walmart, get you a Walmart money card, because you can put money on that card, and you can put cash. You can even transfer money from a bank account to there, but I would ask that if you're going to do that, do not leave a paper trail where things can be traced this is why I say strategic. If you, you get a money card, you need to put take it to Walmart, put the cash on the card, leave the card at work, start taking clothes out of the house. Not Don't get a whole bag and move it because that's noticeable. You take one outfit like in a gym bag, like you're going to the gym, leave those clothes at work, give them to a friend. So when you know it's time to go, then it's time to go. 
that's strategic. Absolutely. Sometimes you may not. Sometimes you have to leave abruptly. But even in your abruptness, if you know in your mind and in your heart that I have to get out of here, then it's time to download that safety plan. It's time to put your plan in place. And you will know when it's time. You get modified. The eight steps there that stands for eight different parts of your life. The eight steps or items that are listed that you need to take with you when you're starting your life over. The ones that are checked are the ones that you need immediately. The rest of that you can get at another time. Once you decide to go, then one trusted friend only one, one. And that's very crucial, and I, I, I trust that our audience is hearing this. It's very crucial to understand the fact that when you start talking about being a victim of domestic violence and you're dealing with a person who's, uh, who will go uh, to whatever lip to get you, you cannot afford to uh, leave a trail. You cannot afford to put it out there to too many people because loose lips sink ships and you don't know uh, who that person is talking to and who knows the perpetrator and, and who who actually may not exactly side with you as a victim, who may actually feel that somehow or another you have done something to bring this on yourself and you're doing something wrong to the perpetrator. And so guess what? In their, in their efforts to feel like they're doing the right thing or evening, evening the playing field, they may disclose it. So you have to be very careful about that. Yeah. And one of the things that I thought that was so important there, and once again, if you are listening, you can go to uh, uh, the atheratrauma.org to find that safety plan there. And I also invite you to go to Mildred's uh, website, www.mildredmohammed.com. Now, those of you that are listening right now, we have about 15 minutes left in the program. And so I want to give you an opportunity to call in uh, to actually ask a question or comment. So just hit number one on your keypad. You don't have to give your name if you don't want to, but uh, definitely uh, want you to have an opportunity to ask questions if that's what you like or comment. Uh, for those of you that was listening, I may join us uh, late. Uh, you can catch the documentary that uh, Mildred was featured in. You can go to mylifetime.com, I believe it is, and you can go to yes. where it says uh, Monster in My Family, and it's going to be Episode 4, D.C. Sniper Mildred Muhammad. You have to see this. You will understand even more perfectly, and you will understand why I say that uh, she's a champion of beyond measure in terms of strength, the poise, and everything that she went through. And for those of you that are listening, perhaps you know someone. Perhaps it's a friend, a coworker, cousin, family member that has been suffering in silence. But there is a way out, and there is strength, and you can get out, and, and, uh, and you have to understand that even after getting out, that's not the end of the journey. It is the healing and the wholeness that takes place afterwards. And we kind of started this show with that part there, talking about the fact of uh, naming what you've gone through, naming it, but also make sure that you don't wear it around your neck as a badge of uh, shame. 
and being able to move forward inside of that. So area code 323-784-9638, that is how you reach us, area code 323-784-9638. If you desire to have a question or make a comment there, simply hit the number one on your keypad uh, there on your phone. That lets our producer know that you want to get in, and we'll get you right on the air. You'll listen to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and we're going to take our last break of the evening, and uh, we'll be right back after this commercial message there. Once again, hope and healing, a journey to wholeness. This is your host, D.R. Thicklin, and we'll be right back. To the soul of America radio. You're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thicklin. And remember, you can catch this show every Monday night, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern and 8 o'clock p.m. Central. And give them a call tonight at 323 784 9638. 323-784-9638. Seven eight four nine six three eight. You give Jay a call right now. And now back to the show.
Mildred, are you still with us? I'm so sorry. I have been back with the with the mute button on. So I'm so glad that everyone have joined me tonight inside of that. And you uh, definitely was able to listen to the commercial part. But we're back, and uh, I apologize for that. I'm also going to uh, get – we have a caller that's on the line. And so I'm going to uh, – I think she has a question for Mildred, and I'm going to try to get the caller on. Caller, you're on the air tonight uh, with uh, Mildred Muhammad. Good afternoon. Hi, good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Hi, this is Envy Harlem. Hey, oh, Envy. Sorry. <laughs> Hi, I'm the executive administrator of Destiny by Choice 2 and also the owner of Harlem World Palms. I'm actually at the gym, but I have to stop <laughs> and get off this treadmill to just tell you what an incredible testimony that is. I thank you so much for sharing that to the world. A lot of people put a lot of emphasis on, um, you know, the physical abuse, the aspect of domestic violence. However, right. the mental abuse happens more often than people know about. And to me, yeah. I think it cuts a lot deeper. So I just yeah. commend you on sharing your testimony and um, and your incredible strength. What advice would you give someone who's going through that? Like, where did you reach? I mean, how did you, um, me as a woman of faith, I can easily say my faith would carry me through. But what would you tell someone who's actually going through that and feel like there's no one to turn to? How do, where would they pull that strength from? Well, I, you know, we're, we know of all of the vices, the external vices, the smoking, the drugs, the alcohol, all of mm -hmm. those things that people use, but those are vices that are used to pull us away from our true power, which is mm. our faith and our being inward. I turn mm -hmm. all of that inward and I tap into who God says that I am and I believe what God says that I am. He said I'm a masterpiece. He said that wow. if Amen. I call on him, he will answer me. Mm -hmm. He said he would not care for me if it were not for my prayers. So mm -hmm. I just prayed more. I, I, I remember being on the, my prayer rug in the shelter crying for two hours because I had to let my children go so I could live. I had to let them go. I don't even, I, I can't even tell you what it's like to have to release your children. Who you I who God gave to you to protect mm -hmm. and to care for that I had to give them back to God. That's mm. what I I said. I can't do this. I have to give them back to you. And I'm asking you, please, to bring them back to me at the appointed time. So mm. I never lost faith that I would see my children. I don't care what anybody said. They told mm -hmm. me, you know, you're young, you can have more children. Why mm -hmm. are you tripping? At least you just get to cook for one 
At least Ooh. you can have more children. How? Why would you tell a mother that? You know, that's horrible. But I yeah. just went in one ear and out the other because I know that I know that I know who mm-hmm. God mm-hmm. is, and Amen. I knew that He would bring them back to me. I stopped listening to the chatter of other people because mm-hmm. they didn't know the God that I serve. Even when I was in the shelter, mm-hmm. they were saying, you just want to be in this shelter because you don't want to go pay your bills. That man ain't take your children. I say, but why, why, why do you have a smile on your face? I say, mm-hmm. but, but if you say that God is who he is, and I'm supposed to take my burdens to the Lord and leave them there, then why shouldn't I have a smile on my face? Why shouldn't I walk around in peace knowing that in due time my children will be returned to me, that all of this will be put in the right state? Tell me why I can't do that. So because I had a smile on my face, because I walked around knowing who God is, people Mm -hmm. didn't believe me. I'm supposed Mm -hmm. to roll around on the ground and be crying and sobering and tearful and woe is me Mm -hmm. before people will step in and say, I believe you, I'll help you. But if I don't do that, which is what happened. My help was slow in coming. People did mm-hmm. not believe me. They said, if you just would have stayed with him, he just would have killed you. Oh my if Lord. you would have stayed on the West Coast, the people mm-hmm. on the East Coast would still be alive. How dare mm-hmm. you call you and your children victims when mm-hmm. you were not killed or injured, and how dare you bring that drama into our quiet community. Wow. Well, what, what a so powerful... This, what a powerful. I was, it was victim blaming to the yeah, highest exactly. degree for me. It, and it my children. My children in their 20s are just now finding out what the people said to me at that time, because I shielded them from that. They didn't know mm-hmm. nothing about it. So I took that hit. I mm. took that. Because you wasn't going to get that madness in my children's head that would prevent them from growing to be comfortable, nurturing, loving people. I couldn't mm-hmm. have that. So I took it. And I asked God to shield me. Put the hedge of protection around me so that what they said would just bounce off of me and roll off like water on a duck. And that's what he did. Awesome. Wow. I, I tell you what what a powerful what a powerful story and as you're sharing. And I wanna mm-hmm. say this the end of our time, but this is what we're going to do because I do have two other callers that do have a question. For those of you that are listening by way of Internet, we will be, you will lose connection here at right about two minutes, but you can always call in and listen to the last couple minutes, a few minutes at Erico 323 784 
But um, we definitely want to, and if Mildred can give us just a couple of minutes, okay. we we will do so, and and um, so that they can get a chance to call and also uh, share their questions or comments inside of that uh, powerful. Uh, uh, Indeed, we thank you always for making it happen uh, yourself, and we're always so glad to have not only you uh, heading up so much of this and making sure that is out there, but also our president of uh, of Soul America Radio, Mr. Tony Stallings, who uh, who has worked so diligently behind the scene to make sure that these things go off well. And uh, Tony has mm-hmm. made me aware tonight that a uh, uh, very good possibility we might re-air this show on this coming Friday. We'll let you know in time. We'll post it out on social media as well. And not only that, we want to make sure that those of you that understand that this show, you can always go to www.soulofamericaradio.com. You can actually go there, too, um, and look up under, um, you know, previously aired shows or the archives and get this particular show, and, um, and you'll be able to do so. So what I want to do now is the fact, and thanks so much, Indy. You can, you can remain live with us, if you like, as we take, uh, <laughs> on, to, <laughs> take on some other callers that are out there. We'll get these last two callers in and so we can complete sure. our time. Uh, we're going to go to caller ending number ending 3701. I believe this is my dear friend, another one of those um, – pioneers and patriarchs and fighters on the front line. I believe this is Ms. Angela Williams, Mothers Against Murders Association. Good evening. Thank you for joining us. Good evening. I, I You know, it's just such an awesome show, uh, Pastor, uh, to hear her tell you to tell your story, ma'am, is so powerful, and I commend you on all of that, because I know it's a struggle. Yes, I, haven't, I, I haven't dealt with gun violence, but I have been following your story for years. And I did see the show on TV recently when they aired it. Right. So I I do follow you a lot. And um, I just have to commend you on that. I just could not get off this line without saying anything. Thank you so much for what all you have done for so many women, you know. And it's it's, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. Maybe one day stick a little hook us up so we can meet each other because I would love to meet you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things I will say is this, and Mildred, that that is Miss Angela Williams. She is uh, she's quite a drum major in our area. She is the founder of Mothers Against Murders Association, and um, they have unfortunately have had to be by the side of a number a number of mothers and another number of parents who have lost children. And even most recently, in the last few weeks in our area, Angela, you could surely share even with this audience uh, because it's been nonstop. And, uh, and I definitely, we're going to make that happen, a connection. We've been working. I'm going to get back with uh, uh, Bishop Mayor Masters, who we, he expressed once before about actually uh, getting Mildred here, and we're going to work to see what we can do to bring Mildred here uh, to our area because we think that she has something powerful to share and it'll make a big difference. But, um, but, but Angela, if you would just share with Mildred uh, as well as the audience there, even just the task, even, uh, I mean, the number of funerals that you and your organization have personally have uh, dealt with since your inception, as well as uh, seemingly the uh, the escalation of the number of gun violence and violent-related deaths that we've had most recently. Yes, I, and, um, I think I did a candlelight visual tonight uh, for the young men that got killed at the park, Sunset, you know, the sun is at the park. 
But personally, I have um, attended 257 funerals myself. And I lost, right here in Punish County, 17 family members to gun violence. Recently, I lost one last week and getting ready to bury him this week, 17-year-old. So we, um, it's a hard task, but it's God's work. And I have to continue to do what I do to help these uh these families, I can't, I can't rest unless I'm helping someone. So, and we have a real large group. It's like 285 mothers. That's in my group right now. And um, my sister's son was gunned down and shot seven times with AK-47. So I had to help her overcome her loss. And then it, you know, it just kept going, escalating, escalating, escalating. Now we have so many. Uh, we and the gun violence is out of hand. It's all over the country. And then we're going to yes, fight this thing yes. together. We're gonna fight it together. We have to. Yeah, so we have to. I'm just so honored to, you know, get, you know, knowing that you was on the show tonight. I said I wouldn't miss this show for the world. <laughs> when I got that check, that's well, I Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. I hope that oh, you look at my website it. and and um, okay. look at my website and I I have a new book coming out. That's what I wanted to say. Um, yes. February the sixth, and it's called. Uh, I'm still standing, crawling out of the darkness into the light. Wow. Okay. And we'll that's sure that available. That um, but that's also on my website where I have saved the date, and you can subscribe to an email listing so that you'll know when it's, when the pre-order information comes out. So if you want okay. to pre-order, then you'll be able to do that. Wonderful. And all the information is on there too. It's MildredMuhammad.com. Just go there, and it's, it's everything is on the website. Right, okay. and if you go to our um, Facebook pages, Destiny by Choice Two and Domestic Violence, it is your business. Um, that information with her um, her website is also on those pages as well. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, sure. Thank Great. you so much. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Angela, and thank you for being such a warrior and such a champion. And we're we're honored uh, to have individuals such as you in our area and one who's really leading the charge. And really, thank you for being with us tonight. Oh, you're welcome. Absolutely. Well, well, uh, Mildred, we have, I said two callers, actually. Two, there are two callers that are left. We're going to get them on. Caller number ending in 3915. Okay. Caller number ending in 3915. We're going to welcome you to the show today, uh, tonight. And uh, I'm going to say good evening to you and welcome to Hope and Healing, our journey to wholeness. You're on with uh, J.R. Thicklin and Mildred Muhammad and with Andy Harlem. Welcome tonight. Thank you so much. This is Sarita Johnson. I'm the author of the book Focus on Healing, and I know this is such a needed message that was shared tonight. I I am now working with our church to develop and enrich our members on how to become first responders when domestic violence issues arise in our community. So I'm just so glad to hear these uh, stories that have shared the stories of strength, the stories of triumph, the stories of of, of just despair that can be um, squashed by the power of positive thinking, the power of the assurance that God is with you through no matter what you go through. And I just want to say thank you so much, Mildred, for sharing your message. Thank you for what you've done for others, many who you may never meet, but know that your message is coming through. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it has been a great night and has been a wonderful show, and we want to continue to um, uh, promote this once again. The show is available. Uh, you can go to uh, www.soulofamericaradio.com. You can go there to our archives and um, and um, shows, and you can pull the show. It will be entitled Hope and Healing, Scared Silent, with special guest Mildred Muhammad. And uh, we're just grateful, Mildred. And uh, I want people to go to your website, www.mildredmuhammad.com. Uh, that's one website, as well as afterthetrauma.org, and you can find that safety plan. And and uh, I feel like I'm missing another one there <laughs> inside of, uh, of the things it. that you have there. But, but you have Scared Silent and so many uh, things that are out there that is a great resource. And I think I lost one caller that may have dropped, but I, I thank you for holding on with us tonight. And, uh, Mildred, you're, you're traveling the country. You're, you're sharing your story. You have another book that's coming out. Uh, you continue to um, you continue to inspire others inside of it. Um, uh, you're looking great. You're, I mean, you're, you're revived. It's like you have your second win. And, um, uh, and I think that... Um, you know, the reality is, is the fact that um, you're making inroads, and people need to hear this message, and they need to, to understand that they can come through. And not only that, they need to understand. I think you validated something for people tonight. Once again, you don't have to have physical scars in order to validate the fact that you've been a victim of abuse, and that's so important. And I've just gotten word from our president of, of Soul of America Radio that this show here, this particular show, will re-air again on Friday night, this exact same time here on Soul of America Radio. So 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central, 7 o'clock in the Mountain Time Zone, 6 o'clock in the Pacific, and wherever you may be around the globe. Uh, we look so forward to you joining uh, that playback show and uh we're always grateful to have that today uh want to close with some um uh, give you some uh, opportunity to give us some closing comments mildred and our time together and um i want to thank all the listeners that have listened that have held on and uh who have shared with us today uh tonight uh who have been enlightened as well as inspired with what they've heard on tonight so we're very grateful for that as well so um i want to give you an opportunity with some last words and uh and then we will end the show for the night once again i thank you so greatly for all uh that you've shared with us on tonight as we continue to uh do this work that we do around the country of course you and i will well uh, We'll we'll run into each other again on on the road and perhaps share the same platform again in the near future. But um, surely it is the inspiration and strength of those who look beyond themselves and understand that even with what they have gone through, it has a measure of power and strength uh, to others. And truly, you are the epitome of that. And uh, just uh, please share with us your closing comments. Well, once, thank you for having me on your show, J.R. I really appreciate it. One thing I want to close with is this. If you know someone or you suspect someone is a victim of domestic violence, don't ask them what's going on. You already know what's going on. Ask them this one question, and that is, how can I help? Wait for them to respond. Do not offer them an out. Don't say, well, I can do this or I can do that. You don't know what that person needs. 
that person knows, that victim knows, you may be the only person that is asking the victim what does she need instead of telling her what she should do because then you begin to sound like the abuser. So wait to hear what they have to say. If you can't do it, tell us. I can't do that, but I can do A, B, C, and D. And don't play the hero. Don't put yourself in harm's way, because if my friend called me saying that she was a victim of domestic violence and her husband or boyfriend was beating her up, I would not go to her house. I would call the police, because at the end of the day, the police are trained to do this type of work. But just ask the person, how can I help you? And let them tell you what they need. Wow. That would be my, what I would ask. Don't play the hero. Don't try to be something that you're not. Just ask the person. But be sure you can back it up. You know, don't ask the person, how can I help you? They tell you everything that you say. You know what, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that. Do you know I just wasted my time? I just wasted exactly. my time. Don't do Absolutely. that. If you can't help, then don't say anything. Or ask them, ask, help that person to get to someone who can help. Maybe it's a pastor in the church or a counselor or a teacher or a police officer. But don't leave a victim in the wilderness crying for help. Please don't do that. Don't leave them that out there and advice. you know they're in pain. Please don't do that. Because you don't want to hear that person is on the news the next morning being killed and you could have done something to help. Absolutely. That is very powerful advice. And uh, it is advice that we should take in because of the fact that lives are lives are at stake here and when a person does open up to you or bring this issue to you or you invite yourself inside of it you have to understand that that could be a once in a lifetime moment make the best of it right but let them be the guide let the victim guide this Correct. Uh, you know because it is it is their issue let them guide it uh, they're not trying to find a replacement batterer or control or abuser. Right. They need to guide the conversation. And don't give anybody God. medicine. And don't give anybody medicine that you wouldn't take yourself. So Absolutely. don't tell me to do something, and if the tables were turned around, you wouldn't do it. Absolutely. Well, that is awesome advice tonight, and we're so glad uh, uh, to have had you on tonight. And I want to say to everyone that are listening tonight that about 30 minutes after the show airs tonight, you can feel free to go to www.soulofamericaradio.com, and you can go to Hope and Healing, and you'll be able to get the app for this show. So you want to do a search there. Or you can go to I, uh, Amazon or iTunes and just put in Soul of America Radio and uh, do a search for the show Hope and Healing uh, uh, scared silent with special guest Mildred Muhammad, and you'll be able to get that for free. And so um, we want to make sure that you have an opportunity. Perhaps you know someone that needs to hear this, that you think that this will encourage them. You know, uh, get it, share it with them, and make a difference in their lives. And uh, we're excited about it. We continue to move forward inside of what we're doing. Uh, I want you to stay tuned next week. Next week we're going to have 
very special guest will be with us on next week. Next week, we'll be broadcasting live out of Greenville, Mississippi. Actually, I will be there in Greenville. I will be there starting Saturday, uh, August 8th through the 12th. I will be there, and I will be there a part of the Speaking of Faith Conference uh, there in Greenville, Mississippi, one that is sponsored by um, uh, Our House, Our House uh, uh uh, there, which is an outreach shelter, and, uh, and actually it is a um, shelter and services uh, for victims of abuse, uh, domestic violence, and sexual assault. They're in the Mississippi Delta area there, and uh, here's one of those faith-based uh, shelters that have done some incredible things. As a matter of fact, they have the sexual assault hotline for their state that comes out of their uh, a shelter program. They also have an incredible program called MASH, Men Against Spousal Harm. And um, next week, I'm going to do my best to have on the air, and she's listening now, I was listening earlier, uh, Dr. Patricia Davenport, who is the executive director of that, and she will be our guest. I'll be there along with other colleagues, and we want to make sure that you tune in. It's going to be another great special show. Share with a friend, share with a neighbor, let them know that we'll be on. And I ask that you continue to uh, Keep us uh, covered. Keep us in prayer. This will be a very strategic month, as we will be in Mississippi starting from Saturday until next Wednesday. And then on August 19th through 22nd, I will be in San Diego, California. Oh, Mildred, that sounds familiar. We were in San Diego together about, what, three years yeah, ago? Yeah, it was. <laughs> I believe it was. Exactly. Right. So we'll, I'll be back in San Diego at uh, that time, uh, August 19th to through 22nd, a day before my birthday, the 23rd, and I'll make my way back here. And our shows will still be going on live, and then pray for us, because then we'll leave right back out. We'll be in Oakland, California from from August. I keep saying April, but from August 26th through 29th, we'll be there actually doing some training with some Bay Area uh, ministers uh, there inside of the area of domestic violence. Work is to be done. Many workers in the vineyard. Listen, share this show with someone. Remember, MildredMohammed.com, www.MildredMohammed.com. You can go there as well as AfterTheTrauma.org. And most of all, I want you to continue to share this message. Listen, if you can help somebody along this way, then your living is not in vain. And until next time, this is J.R. Thicklin, and I'm telling you, thank you so very much. It's our very special guest, Mildred Muhammad. Thank you, my dear friend, for always always bringing to us what we need and that which inspires so many. And until next time, we're going to say good evening and have a great evening. I promise you, oh, well, well, no wonder you can't hear it. I don't have it up. Okay. Perhaps because...